Oh, hi. Last week's episode got a really good response from people, so I'm just going to read Job chapter 2 and 3 for this week. Last week we were introduced to Job and we saw that he lost everything immediately in the first chapter. There's an interesting saying that I think applies to the book of Job really well is God protects me from nothing. God sustains me through everything, which I think is true or it can be true. God allows you to go through trials, meaning he's not he's not protecting you from that thing happening. But if you allow him, he will sustain you through that whole trial. But a lot of that is up to us. So, chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons came to God to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. So they're repeating a conversation that they had in the first chapter. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Initially Satan called Job a mercenary. Here he, here he says Job's life is the most important thing to him. You can touch him physically, said the Lord, but you can't kill him. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to, unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Some have suggested that the boils Job experienced was actually smallpox. They may be. Others believe it was a psychosomatic dermatitis in reaction to the terrible losses he had suffered. This much we know, Job was hit hard, for chapter 19 will speak of boiling of his bowels, of his skin burning black, his breath being the breath of death. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die, Job's wife said. Maybe she said this out of love, wanting to see Job be released from his misery, but whatever the reason, it wasn't right. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Are we simply going to love God in the good and not trust him in the dark days? Job asked his wife. This is the lesson of Job. God does not exist for you. You exist for him. All things were made by him and for him. See Colossians 1.16. God can use us any way he chooses. Therefore, he can put us in situations that might seem uncomfortable or difficult for reasons that we might not understand this side of eternity. After setting them free from bondage in Egypt, God positioned his people with their backs to the Red Sea. In other words, they were boxed in with Pharaoh closing in on them. It seemed like they were about to be wiped out. But God said, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm putting you in a tough situation in order that Pharaoh and the Egyptians might see my glory. The sea would part. Blessings would be bestowed. God's people would eventually reach the land of promise, but not immediately. Therefore, I have to remember that the Lord will put me through situations from time to time that are uncomfortable or difficult, in part that I might ultimately see how he'll come through for me, but also that the Egyptians around me might see his glory and come to know him personally. If we don't remember this as we go through the book of Job and through each day of our life, we'll be confused. Job is fulfilling a huge purpose that deals with honor and integrity of God in the eyes of all eternity, but he didn't know this at the time. In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job is in physical pain and misery. He's distraught, distressed emotionally. 
He's bankrupt, wiped out financially, yet he doesn't sin by charging God foolishly. And in his submission to God's sovereignty, he's silencing Satan. He's proving Satan wrong. Maybe you wonder what's going on in your own life. Maybe you feel like you're being beaten and run over and you don't know why. It might be that in your choosing to submit to the sovereignty of God by worshiping him passionately and spending time in his word consistently, that you too are silencing Satan. I guarantee you that when Job got to heaven, when he finally saw what had taken place, he didn't say, what a waste. No, I'm sure he said, thank you, Lord, for allowing me the privilege of silencing Satan by simply trusting in your sovereignty, by worshiping you, even though I didn't have a clue of what was going on. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came everyone from his own place, for they had made an appointment together to come mourn with him and comfort him. Here we are introduced to the three friends of Job, whose dialogue, along with the fourth, constitutes the bulk of this book. We will have some hard things to say about them, but before we do, we need to commend them, because they did three things that are definitely to their credit. First, they came to Job. They traveled great distances simply to be with him, and when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not. So great was Job's physical and emotional pain that his friends didn't even recognize him. They lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent everyone his mantle, and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. As seen in Genesis 50 and Ezekiel 3, this was the reaction to death in that day. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Secondly, not only did Job's friends come to him, but they sat with him for seven days. They sat with him without saying a word. After my wife was taken to heaven, many people shared wonderful insights in scripture with me, but I especially appreciated the ones who would just show up and say very little. In fact, in the first 10 days or so, following her home going, one guy came by my house, knocked on the door, let himself in, grabbed me by the arm and said, come on, John, we're gonna go watch the George Foreman fight on the closed circuit at the Medford Armory. This guy, being bigger than me, I went, and it turned out to be the best thing he could have done for me. Sometimes the best thing a person do is just be there without giving any advice. Initially, that's exactly what Job's friends did. And then they finally did talk. The third thing they did do right was talk to Job rather than talk about him. Even though their conclusions were amiss, they talked directly to him rather than talking behind his back. Job 3, after Job opened his mouth, Silent sympathy created the opportunity for grief to express itself. When you sit with someone and you're there for him, it's amazing how he will open his mouth when he's ready. If I'm there with someone who's hurting day by day, week by week, ultimately it would provide the opportunity for that person to express his grief and cursed his day. Yes, Job cursed the day he was born, but he didn't curse God. And Job spake and said, let the day perish wherein I was born and the night in which it was said, there is a man child conceived. Notice that it wasn't a blob of tissue that was conceived, it was a man-child. Let that day be darkness, let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it, let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it, let it not be joined unto the days of the year, let it not come unto the number of the months. <laughs> let the night of my conception and the day of my birth be blotted from the calendar. Job said. Let them curse it that curse that day, who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light, but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day, because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. 
why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Or why did the breasts that I should suck? Why wasn't I stillborn? Job asks. For now I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then had I been at rest. On the basis of this verse, some groups have developed the doctrine of soul sleep that says when a believer dies, he sleeps in the grave. Paul, however, would write that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And on the cross, Jesus declared to the thief who believed in him, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Doctrine cannot be based on the book of Job because Job speaks out frustration rather than revelation. In fact, God will come on the scene and ultimately say to him, Who is this who darkeneth the counsel with words without knowledge? In other words, Job, you're talking about things you know nothing about. With kings and counselors of the earth, which built desolate places for themselves, or with princes that had gold, or with princes that had gold who filled their houses with silver, or as in hidden, untimely birth I had not been, as infants which never saw the light. There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at rest. The quietness and nothingness of the grave sounded very appealing and inviting to Job. There the prisoners rest together, they hear not the voice of the oppressor, the small and the great are there, and the servant is free from his master. This speaks on the democracy of death, for in death all men are truly equal. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than hid treasures. When a man is just as miserable as I am, why can't he just die? Job asks. I think it is important to note that even though he wanted to die, Job never contemplated suicide, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid, and whom God hath hedged in? Job feels he's in the dark because God has hedged him in. In reality, it was because God had removed the, his hedge of protection that Job felt vulnerable. For my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like waters. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. There are those who use verse 25 to say that if we speak negatively, that which we fear will come our way. But that is simply not true. God is not saying, if you say one negative thing, one that lacks faith, I'm going to get you. That's not our father. That's the Godfather. David says, Our Father remembers our frames. He knows we're dust. He knows our frailty. Psalms 103.14 This is the last verse in Job 3. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. After Job shared this with his friends, his desire to die in chapter 3, they will begin to speak in Job chapter 4. Which I will get to next week. Hey, my light just gave out. Perfect timing! So something that I totally believe is that Christians, I think we have maybe 40, 50 days left here on Earth. You know, I've spoken about this before in recent episodes, but I think something drastic is going to happen this year. Not only in the spiritual realm, I'm not only talking about the rapture, I'm also talking about what what's happening in the UN. They're about to sign their seven-year celebration of progress. But dude, the, the tribulation is going to be seven years. Here on Earth, they want to call it global warming. They want to call it their 2030 plan, you know. But I have different words for these. Tribulation applies to both of them. And this treaty, this celebration for seven years, once that's signed, I feel like 
Jesus is going to come back for his bride. And I feel like we are so close to that happening. You know, I haven't been given any visions or anything like that. It's not like that. There's so many people online saying, oh, I had a dream about the tribulation. But that's something in Revelation that we are told will be happening is beware the false prophets. Beware the people who say, oh, I had a vision from God because they're literally just speaking from their own imagination. And I don't want to be doing that. I, I don't want to be speaking from just my imagination. But I did feel it very important to read from the Bible to anybody who might not be in the Word daily. I can't say that I am, but I'm trying to be. And yeah, I will keep doing these as long as I'm here. Okay, thank you guys for watching. See you next week, hopefully. Peace. <laughs>